time for breakfast. Trauma for Breakfast is a crowded table of wounded children, parents, spouses, caregivers, and weary souls. Together, we join in honest conversations about the behaviors and challenges of parenting and working with children who've experienced trauma. There's always room for one more at the table to share in the stories, science, and healing as we learn to better understand and care for each other. We are a table without shame or judgment because life can be hard and lonely, and we all know that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I'm Stacy. I'm a mother of seven children and have fostered for over 13 years. As an RN and former public school teacher, I quickly realized this type of parenting was not taught in a textbook or class. Let's learn together to parent different, not harder. Welcome to Trauma for Breakfast. Welcome back to part two, Good Grief on Trauma for Breakfast. And I am here with Jamie Briscoe, who is a licensed family therapist, slash counselor, slash mother, slash former teacher, slash breast cancer, do you say survivor? survivor? Yes. Sure. Survivor um, and thriver. <laughs> yeah, survivor and thriver. And so this episode of Good Grief is the second one in, in a two-part series. And we wanted to just kind of share how Jamie walks through people who are experiencing grief. But first I, I wanted to share just a quick story on grief, especially I guess in, in the foster and adopt world. We at one time had a child in our home through foster care. And I think foster care is a whole other animal when it comes to grieving because it's, it's truly built on loss. You know, a child has lost everything they've known. And so you have a child coming in your home who's grieving. And if you are also experiencing some level of grief, it's going to really be magnified and exposed in that moment. And I, I remember we had a little girl in our home who had, had lost family, but also was incredibly ill. And there came a point that she wasn't going to actually make it. They didn't believe that she would live through the night. And I remember at the time feeling so isolated and alone because most experiences within the world, when you have a child who's profoundly ill or chronically ill, there are support systems that are in place. But in this moment, it, this is foster care and it's what we signed up for. And we were trained to deal with medical kids and we were supposedly trained to deal with a child who was dying, which I don't know that there's a training that you take to be able to weather that. And I remember at one point sitting in the hospital outside of her room I was basically had slumped down to the floor and I was just crying. And this nurse walked up to me and she said, you know that you could quit, right? You don't have to do this. And I remember thinking like, of course I have to do this. This baby needs a mom. Mm -hmm. Like, but I, I remember thinking like sometimes with grief and sometimes with loss, there is a choice to step into it, but that doesn't make it easier. And it doesn't mean we don't have to pay attention to it. And I think in the foster and adopt world, we tend to see it as a choice. And because we do that, we don't attend to the grief. And so that's why I'm really excited to have Jamie on because Jamie understands grief on a very personal level, but also can help us speak to each other who are in the system who are working in the trenches or who are even dealing in the trenches with grief, even those who have chosen to do it, I want to give you permission to attend to your grief, even though you chose it. Yes. 
So Stacy, that is such a, an important um, story to lead with in this because you are going to have the people that tell you, really, you can stop at any time. You can, you can r- remove yourself from this pain and suffering. And yet we, we are chosen, we are choosing to live in this moment and to honor our commitment and to love this child, no matter what circumstance comes our way. There is added suffering when we choose to avoid the pain of the present circumstance. (laughs) And so I think we first need to authentically honor our emotions. So Stacey, you did that in such a beautiful way. You stepped outside of the room. You allowed that space for yourself to just cry, to just release that emotion And there are many, many different ways that we can release the emotion. But I have a feeling that that emotion came to you as if a wave comes. Oh, yeah. There was no controlled moment. I basically started ugly, gulping, sobbing at the bedside and walked out because I thought, okay. I mean, even though the baby at the time was, she was vented and everything and and under sedation, I, I also understand that people that are in that state can still sense things. And, you know, I didn't, I did not want to pour my grief onto this, this baby that I loved so much. So yes, I was, it was a wave that was not manageable. That knocked you over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And, and we know with the waves of the ocean that sometimes they just come up and tickle our toes and other times they come and knock us over and they scrape us up against the sand. And we, we might stand up from that massive ocean wave that knocks us over with, with some scars and with some, some open wounds. And it sounds like that, that was that wave of emotion for you that came. What I love is that you did not judge yourself in that moment that you were, you had the ability to step away from the bed and to have that moment and to allow that wave of emotion to come over you and to allow the release of that. And that really is the key to authentically honoring our emotions when they come, allowing space for them, allowing to feel them and really doing something to release that. And it might look like a good cry. It might look like uh, writing in a journal. It might look like going for the fast, you know, fast paced run. Uh, It might look like calling a friend. These are all ways that we can sort of release that emotion. And then I think we can also parallel this with waves of grief. There might be a moment that um, a smell or a sight that causes us to have that wave of grief come to us. Sometimes there's nothing that activates that. Sometimes that grief just comes and knocks us over in a similar way, like the wave of emotion. I love the ball of grief and you can, we will have this up on, um, for people to take a look at because there are some really interesting emotions that are present when we're experiencing grief and loss. And I just want to share a few of those with you because some of them seem just kind of interesting. Uh, there is of course the, the dread or maybe the feeling of loss or sadness There might be a feeling of yearning or even jealousy or rage. 
I think a lot of times foster and adoptive families probably experience the loneliness, as you talked about Mm -hmm. in the first session uh, of just the loneliness of, okay, everyone celebrated us to this moment. And I'm feeling, I'm feeling a lot of grief and sadness in this moment. And, but everyone else is celebrating for us. And I, I almost feel like it's a twofold. Like I, I resonate with the loneliness and jealousy because there are definitely times in, in my life where I have sat in moments of like, okay, looking at all of my friends and their kids who are going through life and, and not dealing with some of the struggles we're dealing with because of early trauma in our kids and feeling like, oh, I just, I, I wish that'd be great. Right. But, but then also feeling isolated. And, and for me personally, I know the isolation has probably become greater the older my children get. And my children are also feeling the isolation because of just the nature of what trauma does to the brain. My kids are, they struggle socially. My kids struggle academically. My kids struggle in a lot of ways. And so that isolation piece is now affecting them as greatly as it is affecting my husband and I. And so, so Stacy, there's the grief that you're experiencing of the isolation personally, but you're also carrying the pain of watching your children experience isolation. Absolutely. And, you know, I think when, when you were talking about the ball of grief, I think one of the things that's interesting about kids is that especially kids with early trauma, they struggle to identify their own emotion. And they also struggle to identify appropriate ways to release things or understand things. And so a lot of times what looks like misbehavior or excitability or those kind of things is actually steeped in a different space. And so like one of my children could be in the saddest place in the world, but they'll start laughing excitably or like trembling. And it's, it's an interesting thing that their body interprets fear and excitement in the same way. But in, in some ways, if you think about it, it feels the same An increased heart rate, shivery, maybe those kind of things. And so it's, Grief in children is very different than grief in adults. And that's something new that I've learned. Can you speak yes. to that at all? Well, and it it's very unique. Grief is very unique, even with adults. I have, a, a, I've walked through grief with a lot of different clients and each journey is different. Each length of time is different. And in kids, it might look like a misbehavior. It might look like excitability. And so just understanding that it's, it might even look like the child that draws within that is more implosive. So they're sort of handling those very heavy, big, strong emotions, and they're turning them inside and they're, they might not be the squeaky wheel in the family, but, but they are suffering. They're just internalizing it. You might have the explosive child that, you know, is the squeaky wheel and is letting you know when things aren't going well, letting you know when they're suffering. Well, and I I really like what you're saying, Jamie, as you're walking me through this kind of model you have is that authentically honoring emotions in ourselves can look very different on how children authentically honor emotions. Because think about it, you or I are typically able to look and feel and say, wow, I am feeling incredibly sad right now, or I'm feeling incredible anxiety, but children or even adults who have early childhood trauma cannot identify emotions as well. And so in order to help them authentically honor emotions, a lot of times with my kids, I have to actually give them the name of the emotion and say, this is what your body's doing. 
I see this on your body. Your, you know, your mm. shoulders are hunched down and your, your face is looking sad. And I'll tell them, I, I, maybe I'm, maybe you're feeling sad today. And I think that when we're looking at walking our kids, even through grief experiences, that we have to look at how we help them to honor, authentically honor and name their yes. emotions. Yes. And this goes across the board. I think the screen time has gone uh-huh. up and the empathy has gone down. Kids are not gaining the empathy skills that they need when they're looking at a screen. And so it's all the more important for us as parents to be modeling what it looks like to honor our emotions, to authentically honor our emotion in the moment. Mm -hmm. And it's good for us to have the scowl on our face when we are really frustrated Mm -hmm. and to use that word with them and say, I am feeling so frustrated right now. What I expected to happen today has completely changed. And I am very frustrated right now. And they can identify with that. So you're building their emotional vocabulary, which is number one. It's a really important thing. But also they're saying, oh, mom and dad experienced this too. Yes. What a great feeling to know that I'm not alone in feeling frustrated. Absolutely. And I love too, Jamie, that you're talking about, you're not saying I'm frustrated with you right now. (laughs) You're saying you're frustrated with a circumstance, maybe at work or outside of things. And that's helping your kids to see you outside of just that mom or dad model of like, oh, my mom has feelings (laughs) outside of just being frustrated with me today. Right. So I I think that's an excellent analogy. And I agree on the screen time. Good thing. We just did a podcast on um, technology, which people can reference because it is alarming the effects we're seeing from technology use and what it's doing with relationships. Absolutely. So go on, move on to what you have as your. Yeah. So um, after we're, after we take time to authentically honor our emotions, and this is a process that we have to do again and again, just because you have to go back to this stage doesn't mean that you didn't adequately take time. That's part of the grief um, process is just, you know, re-entering into that grief at different times and stages and going back to it. That's all very normal. But the next stage that we want to really work through is the radical acceptance. So I know the first part we talked about lamenting and how important it is to say, this is not what I expected. I do not want to be in this moment with this circumstance. I didn't plan for this. I didn't expect this to happen. But part of radical acceptance is coming to the place where we begin to accept what our current reality is. And so we, in that we are acknowledging the reality, we're discussing and and maybe journaling what we can control in this current reality, what we can't control, We are really um, looking at our situation with no judgment. And this is really vital because I think we start the talk of I should or I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't think this way or "I, I should feel this way. We need to be really careful about that because that is avoiding, it's adding suffering to our pain. And we, we don't want to avoid what the current reality is. So we need to stop resisting the reality 
and living in the present moment despite the pain. And I know this is so hard, but I think it goes hand in hand with the honoring what emotion we experience in the moment. Stacy, I shared with you um, the big wheel of emotions that has like 130 emotions in it. There's only like 25% that really makes up the positive emotions, what we would say are positive emotions, the peaceful, the calm, the joyful, the happy, the 75% is more of what we would call the negative emotions. And yet we were created to experience the entire wheel and to have times in our lives where we experience all the emotions, including the negative ones that we we like to escape from. Well, I, I think it's interesting you say that, like even the fact that we would label emotions as negative, right? Because right. an emotion is, it, when we label it as negative, it's basically saying that needs to be avoided. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is that authentically honoring and radically accepting emotion is not labeling something as bad or as good, right? Yes. And, and that's why I think people want to push people through grief or people want to say, you didn't sign up for this. You didn't choose this, run away from this. And I'm going to tell you with the little girl that um, at the beginning of this podcast that I was talking about, she did not die that night. She was in my home for over a year And there were many other times where we came to that moment where doctors were telling us to say goodbye and to let her go. Mm -hmm. She ended up having a life-saving open heart surgery and and they were able to repair her heart in a way that she was going to be able to live. But it was still one of the greatest losses of my life because she ended up going back to, and this happens in foster care often, Mm -hmm. the same situation that she was removed from. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, I did choose this. But I also recognize that we have that wheel of emotion and we get to feel all those things because we get to feel Mm. life was meant to be felt. Mm -hmm. And for as much grief and heartache and pain uh, there was in living with that little girl and loving her and caring for her and literally keeping death at bay with the suction machine in my house at night, Mm. I would choose it again because she also let me experience other emotions on that wheel and was worth it. And I think when you have that fear and that post-adoption grief or the foster care grief or the breast cancer grief, or the, I don't know what's happening. My, my marriage is falling apart grief or any of those things. I love the thought that it's okay to sit in it and there's no bad emotion. Mm -hmm. It's okay to radically accept this sucks. Mm-hmm. because there's other parts of the wheel that they're, you're going to see again. Mm-hmm. You're not living there forever. Right. And you're not only releasing it from your mind and your emotions, but your body is releasing it as well. When you are accepting some of these negative emotions and being present with them, it really is a total body wholeness releasing that is really important. Well, I feel like, this episode is one of the best ones we've done as far as just understanding and being okay to sit in a hard place. And I think so often, like you said, Jamie, we are told to move on, to move on. And so for any of my listeners out there who are struggling in the grief process, number one, know that you're not alone. You're not. And then number two, look for someone that you can trust to carry this with you. Mm -hmm. and therapy is good, right? A good therapist 
is worth their weight in gold. And so, you know, find your Jamie Briscoe out there who you can come and, and just share with, because there are times where like, I, I hear from people, I have no one, I have no one. Well, there are people that are trained to sit and be that person for you, a person like Jamie. So thank you so much for coming on. Do you want to end with anything today or thoughts? You know, I just, the, I think the goal is to be reminded, Stacy, that our pain does not have to be in vain, that we can get to the place where we can make meaning out of our pain and out of our suffering. And I don't want to rush us there, but I also want to say there is, there is great joy in being able to walk alongside, uh, alongside someone who has just been diagnosed with breast cancer and is in that month wait of the great unknown of not knowing, do they have six months? Are they going to live till they're 80? Journeying with someone in, in the difficult circumstance that you have been in, that you are surviving and you, and sometimes we're thriving and sometimes we're just surviving either way is okay, but that we're choosing to really open ourselves up to, to help others with our stories. And we don't have to know the outcome yet in order for it, for it to be meaningful and impactful to somebody else. And I love that. I love that stepping into other people's space of grief and not having to be so extra skilled in order to do it. So thank you guys so much for um, listening in today on Trauma for Breakfast, and we will see you on our next episode. We're so thankful that you all shared in today's conversation. We are always here and ready to set one more place at the table. Thanks for joining us on Trauma for Breakfast. Trauma for Breakfast is brought to you and supported by Matt Force, working together to reduce substance abuse, and Yavapai County Community Health Services, working toward healthier communities.